oh, there isn't even a word for it. The shame, the shame, the shame was awful. It is still a sad story and very difficult to tell. Preparing yourself for a re reunion with your adult child is very necessary. After 20 years of feeling loss and sadness, my son came back into my life. My whole being has benefited from this reunion. When Bernardo's post-adoption support service first opened its doors in October 1990, no one could have foreseen the impact it would have on the lives of so many women. Women who had spent years mourning the loss of their children to adoption. On the evening of that first group meeting, eight of these nervous women gathered in the small office in Harold's Cross. All of them were equally anxious as to how the meeting might go. Common concerns for the mothers included, might there be anyone else there I know? What if I can't stop crying? Will I be the only one who feels so shameful? This was Ireland of not so long ago, a country ruled by the church and all the societal pressures that came along with it. Because of this, the experience of pregnancy and childbirth for many women was shrouded in secrecy, shame and stigma. During this time, many women were forced to give their babies up for adoption, an experience that was often traumatic and stayed with them for the remainder of their lives. Many went through it feeling isolated and ashamed, told to move on and simply forget. Bernarda's post-adoption service provided these women with a support network and a safe space to tell their story. This is Mays. Uh, where to start? It has been 57 years but it is still a sad story and very difficult to tell. The memories and emotions it evokes is so upsetting. It began in 1963 when I was 17. I became pregnant. My boyfriend and I were to get married. However, the Catholic Church had other ideas. My boyfriend was a Protestant. I recall the meeting we had with my parish priest to discuss the situation. He made his opinion very clear when he said, you want to marry a non-Catholic and bring a baby into that marriage? Everything changed after that. I was sent to St. Patrick's mother and baby home on the Navan Road. My boyfriend was only informed of this afterwards when he called to my family's home to see me. Shocked and upset by the news, he hurried home to tell his mother. As few homes in those days had a telephone, she immediately wrote a letter to my parents. She asked them to remove me from St. Patrick's and said I was more than welcome to stay in her home. My boyfriend cycled to the GPO to post the letter and it arrived the next day. I was in St. Patrick's for two days. The nuns were so unfriendly. I was given a uniform several sizes too big for me. 
and was told to put it on, I was brought to a dormitory and shown my bed. After changing, they took my own clothes away. Later, I was brought to a large room where there were other girls. Some had already had their babies. We were not allowed to use our real names, but I can't remember what name I was given. In yet another large room I was taken to, everyone was working. Some girls were sewing, others were making rosary beads. I was asked what I could do, and I was put at a table making rugs. My uncle had made lovely rugs. When I was younger, I had spent many fond weekends with my aunt and uncle in my aunt and uncle's home. He taught me how to make rugs. Although he had to go over every loop I made, as I never pulled them tightly enough. St. Patrick's was a sad and lonely place. Everything about it felt cold. I felt hopeless. Then, to my surprise, my dad arrived. He had come to pick me up, to take me into town to meet my boyfriend. My boyfriend took me home to his mother, a lovely, kind, caring person. She made me feel so welcome. The days went, went by, but there was still no sign of us being allowed to marry. No plans were being made and everything seemed to drag on. Then the day arrived in January 1964. My boyfriend's mother and my mother took me to the Rotunda Hospital. I was completely unprepared for the difficult labour. I was in a state of shock. The labour was so hard that I cried. The nurse slapped me on the thigh and said, be quiet. There are other mothers here who are married. I gave birth to a beautiful little girl. I was placed in a ward with six beds. The other mothers assumed I was married. But one girl came over to me and said, you're not married, are you? She could see the staff were treating me differently. My boyfriend and his mother came to visit me, as did my mother. I can't remember who else my family visited me. It was a shocking time. I felt so alone. When we left the hospital, we were brought to a house on the North Circular Road, a house for mothers and babies. However, that house was full. We were then taken to another house, a private house again, on the north side of the city. It was a nice house. We lived with a family, and I took care of my baby. I had been told by my mother not to handle her too much. Why not? I wondered. At night, I would have the baby in the bed with me. I remember her little cold hands. <sighs> At night, I would have my baby in the bed with me. I remember her little cold hands and the bliss of her touch. I had no idea what was to happen in the weeks that followed. <sighs> a priest called to the house a few times to see how we were. He asked some strange questions. He asked about the colour of my boyfriend's hair and his eyes. My 18th birthday came and went during those short weeks. Then out of the blue, I was sent to the hairdressers to have my hair done. I recall telling the hairdresser that it was my birthday treat from my parents. When I got back to the house, my baby was gone. My world fell apart. She had been taken from the house while I was out. I stood there looking at the empty cot. She was just gone. My parents were there at the house. They had packed my bag. 
birthday into town. We had tea, I remember, in Cleary's on Collins Street. There, sitting at a table, my father told me that the matter was not to be discussed again. I was to get on with my life. I was supposed to just forget about my baby. My boyfriend knew nothing about what had happened, nor did his mother. She was a widow for many years and worked outside the home. She was a Protestant from England and did not so readily conform to the authority of the Catholic Church. She was utterly shocked by what had happened, but could do nothing to help us. The priest and my parents had arranged it all. I truly believe that fear compelled my parents to do what they did. Fear of the church, fear of what others might think and say. The Catholic Church controlled everything. Time passed. Eventually, I was brought by my parents to sign the adoption papers. I was numb. I had held off doing so for so many months, refusing to go, but eventually they wore me down. Four years later, I married my boyfriend, the father of my baby. We went on to have four more children, two boys and two girls. We got on with living, but we never forgot our little girl. Over the years, it has been so hard not knowing where she was at Christmas, on her birthday, or when my other children were starting school. Was she well? Was she happy? The years passed. Every year on her birthday, my sister would call to let me know that she was thinking of my little girl. My sister often accompanied me to visit the Pro Cathedral in Dublin to see a lady from the Rotunda Girls Aid Society, hoping that this time would I have any word or any news about the whereabouts of my little girl. She was never helpful. So one day, my sister and I decided to go and look at the birth registers. We found records for three babies that were born on the same day. This was the start of our breakthrough. Many years after she was taken from her, May was reunited with her daughter. Some 37 years after she was taken from me, I finally met my beautiful daughter again. We hugged and cried and talked a lot. A wonderful couple had adopted her. They prayed for us every night as she grew up. They told her how often how special she was. She was loved and so happy. In the summer of 2003, she met our other children. We were finally all together in our home and her adoptive parents also attended the weddings of two of our other children. Her adoptive parents were such warm people. Sadly, they died a matter of weeks apart and I, I miss them so very much. Before I met my daughter, I attended a Bernardo's meeting one evening a talk being given by Christine Hennessy. My sister came with me. I cried the whole time I was there. Christine was so kind to everyone. I went on to attend one of the many courses there and some meetings too. They were a great help to me and so much to offer. It was lovely to be with people who knew how I was feeling. Every story was different. It was so good to talk, be able to talk, to cry, 
and know that they understood what I had gone through. I will be forever grateful to Christine and Patricia in Bernardo's. They helped me more than they will ever know. We continue to see my daughter from time to time. We speak on the phone quite a lot too. I could go on longer and tell you of our other children, how good they are and how welcoming they have been to their sister. To Bernardo's, I say a big thank you. Warmest regards. While each woman's experience was different, they were all deeply affected by the loss of their child. Marion found comfort in poetry and wrote about her daughter often. I dreamt of you the other night, but the dream was gone the next day. Just a faded haze of a little girl, a ten-year-old at play. Sometimes I think it was all a dream, that you weren't born at all but then I clearly remember your birth and the memories I recall. I can still see your tiny body, so slithery and blue. You cried aloud, I held you close, just for a second or two. The nurse whisked you away too soon. How could I have guessed that I would never see you again? They said it was for the best. We bought a pretty shawl for you and a locket for your neck. I also wrote you a poem. I wonder, have you read it yet? Writing these lines, my tears I cry, they're streaming down my face. To think my lovely darling daughter is gone without a trace. Yet, I don't regret the decision I made. I did what I thought was right. I knew I couldn't have coped on my own. So I lost you from my life. Out of sight, out of mind, is what they always say, but that statement isn't true for me. You're in my mind to stay. Marion became pregnant in 1978. Having grown up in rural Ireland, the shame and stigma for her family meant that she chose to go to England to have her baby. I got pregnant in in 1978, and then my daughter was born in 19... 79, January 1979. I wasn't young, I was actually 24 years of age and it's amazing, you know, how I suppose immature I was but what's more amazing is how things were in Ireland at that time, in the late 70s. A couple of years later, young women started keeping their babies. I'm not sure myself when the actual um, supports came in but certainly in the late 70s there were no supports for, for, for young women. It was one of my mother's biggest regrets in life and she never did get to meet her, her first grandchild, you know, that we weren't able to keep the baby ourselves, as was happening a few years later. I'm from rural Ireland and, you know, it was it was really, really, oh, there isn't even a word for it. Um, the shame, the shame, the shame was awful. The secrecy, I mean, that was awful, the secrecy and the lies and the shame, those are the ones that stand out. I actually went to England. Uh, I didn't have my baby in Ireland. I had a brother in England, so I literally did a runner, real secrecy, and it was even suggested that I change my name for writing letters home in case the letter fell into the wrong hands. 
that was huge, huge. And because my baby was born in, in January, you know, this was extraordinary that, you know, even in, in England, I actually could, you know, I couldn't find a place to, to actually go and have my baby because England didn't want to know about me. I didn't have social welfare. So, in fact, you know, we were, I was Ireland's problem. And um, I remember traipsing around the hospitals, St. Charlotte's and other hospitals, just trying to find a place that would let me have the baby, but they didn't want to know. So it was one nice uh, sister or a social worker or something in one of the hospitals suggests that I go private. So that was my only choice then was to go private, which cost an awful lot of money. I had a car at home in Ireland, so I rang my parents and I asked them to sell the car. And, um, and I went private, a beautiful, beautiful nursing home in England, which is no longer there. In fact, only last year I went back to the site, you know, just to uh, check it out. It was strange. But, you know, it wasn't just Ireland because in that nursing home there were young women from France and Canada. So it was extraordinary. So I suppose the, the major thing in my life was how my mental health broke down. That was because obviously something that was kept in like that for so long just had to come out. And of course, I hid it completely. I mean, as I said, Maeve was born in, in January. I was back in Dublin, ensconced in a brand new job by April and told absolutely nobody you know, nobody. And two years later, then certain incidences, one, one was a shock and uh, I just had a major breakdown two years later. So then I just to say, you know, things settled down. I was on medication for years, but things settled down. I got married. I had now have two, two grown sons and uh, I should say we. And it was my husband actually who noticed about Bernardo's. He saw a little clip in the, I think it was probably the evening press, about that Bernardo's were running programmes for, for, as we are known as birth mothers. I mean, I don't know how I did it because our youngest son was only two and the other fellow was four. And I think that time we had to go over to John Leary. But they were fantastic. They were absolutely fantastic. And I did all these various training courses with them over the years. The first thing they did for us was to encourage us to write to the agency to see if we could make contact with the adoptive parents. So again, I was extremely lucky because within six weeks, I had a letter and photographs back from the adoptive parents. So that was absolutely fantastic. At the time, my daughter was 13. So for years and years and years, then I was writing back and forth to the parents. So that was Fabulous. I'll never forget the first photograph, though. My, she was just and still is the image of me. So seeing this picture of a girl staring back at me, it was, it was, I can't think of a word. Anyway, that went on. And then when my daughter became 21, I didn't feel comfortable about writing to her parents behind her back anymore. So in a way, that totally backfired. It has to be said, the, the adoption agencies, they weren't very forthcoming with, with information and stuff. So on the other side of the channel in England, my daughter spoke with them and said she wasn't ready for contact. But what she really meant was she wasn't ready to meet me because she was going to college and doing all sorts of things like that. But whatever way they picked it up, I'm sure it was an accident. But for seven years, I never heard from her and they never heard from me. And that was the worst seven years, actually, because they didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. And then when my daughter was about 28, then the letter, the first letter arrived from, from her. And that was amazing. That was in 2007. And so we've been reunited since then. And it's absolutely, it's just wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful. I think I'm one of, I'm one of the lucky ones. It is, you know, it's been such a, a great story, a happy ending. 
She has two sons now, so I have two adorable grandchildren and her husband in my life and her parents and I've met her parents and I was at the wedding. I've been to their houses. So it's been a, it's been a very, very, you know, fulfilling story for me. The reunion process for many birth mothers and their children can be difficult, sometimes facing the unknown and hitting a wall when it comes to information. However, for many, the reunion with their adult son or daughter has been positive, and for Anne-Marie, it was life-changing. After 20 years of feeling loss and sadness, my son came back into my life, and I am definitely a different person as a result my whole being has benefited from this reunion. I attended Bernardo's from the time my son was 10 and being raised in England, and I had never even heard the word birth mother previous to that. It was my first opportunity to speak out openly about my situation instead of whispering it over a few drinks and then regretting it afterwards. The support I got there was incredible, and I would put a lot of it down to the fact that the women who ran the course were just so sensitive to us and made it very easy for us to reveal our thoughts. At that stage, I was never to know whether I was going to be reunited or not with my son. So it was a matter of dealing with the loss and maybe the prospect of never having a reunion. We cried a lot and also laughed as we got to know each other in the group. And as a result, I've made a lifelong friend with one of the other participants. I really don't think I could have coped as well with the reunion had I not had years of preparation as we continue to meet as a group even after the sessions had stopped. It is hard to explain the ups and downs of emotions that I had in the 10 months prior to meeting my son. Tears of happiness and sadness in equal amounts. I was very nervous in case my son would resent me, but when we hugged, I just knew everything would be fine. The physicality of that first day will stay with me forever. And before we knew it, we were holding hands like it was the most natural thing in the world. I still get that wonderful feeling when my son puts his arms around me. It fills me with delight. And he calls me by my Christian name, and I don't know why this is. There's nobody who can make me feel so elated or deflated as he does. And sometimes I have to go to sleep to shake off the sadness that sometimes comes over me, as I am naturally a very happy person. I feel that my son's upbringing and the support that he has from his amazing parents has certainly helped bring our relationship to fruition. I think we have the same values in life and the same loyalty to our loved ones. We also share a sense of humour, and that's actually very important. My husband has been my biggest support, and it cannot have been easy for him to have to relive my past, which did not include him. I count my blessings every day that I have so many people who love me and my son, and they have shared in our joy. My son now has an Irish family who love him, and this was obvious when we all travelled abroad to be at his wedding. This includes his biological father and his lovely partner, who are now also in his life. He looks very similar to him, and I think that means a lot to him. I always told my son the truth about his past, even if sometimes it was hard to hear and for me to relive. I felt it was the least I could do. I think both my son and myself have suffered a huge loss over the years, and we both have written journals to each other to try to explain our experiences. We really have worked hard at our relationship, and now we're at a stage where we can argue like any adults would and know that we are in a stable relationship although it took quite some years to get to this stage. But we are very proud of each other now. 
And now for the proudest moment of all, my son and his amazing wife, who I love and greatly admire, have given the beautiful name of Ronan to my grandson. That was the name that I had given my son when he was born. His parents chose a different name for him, but kept that name as his second name. I now have a baby Ronan in my life all these years later. It really is unbelievable. Finally, as a kidney donor to a stranger, some people say I was brave, but compared to parting with my son, I would say parting with a kidney is nothing at all. Thank you, Bernardus, for all your support. Many believe that there is strength in numbers, and Christina certainly found this to be the case when she began attending sessions with other birth mothers. It was both a relief and a healing experience to share with other women and to also hear their own unique stories. I joined Bernardo's post-adoption services, Dublin, Ireland, back in 2011. Now nine years ago to take part in an eight-week course for first mothers of adopted children. Mothers who were separated from their child through adoption. This course was facilitated by Bernardo's social worker, Patricia White. On meeting with other women in that group who had experienced the same loss and grief as myself, was in some ways a great relief. Stepping into a supportive space of sharing, listening, empathy and understanding was very much needed. The loss and grief and trauma in adoption separation is complex and very difficult. All of us women in that group shared a common bond. Preparing yourself for a reunion with your adult child is very necessary. But when all is put into place, when that real moment happens, can be most joyous for many. And what is to follow will rumble up all kinds of emotions from excitement, anger, sadness, guilt, and so much more. you got to face that difficult journey ahead. Seek the truth and seek support, the right support for you. Having Bernardo's post-adoption services support group in place was very helpful to me as it gave me another gateway of preparation for meeting with my own son. The most valuable part of the support group came from the other mothers and understanding that no other can fulfill. Patricia was always well organized and as supportive as she could be to us all. She facilitated the group well, and having another first mother assisting her was an added bonus to the group also. It was a safe space, which is crucial. The following year, thankfully, my first son and I had our reunion. It was a blast of joy, nervousness, and and excitement. The road shortly afterwards was at times, though, the opposite. This journey of reunion is a life one caused by the separation. 
I'm so happy now to have my son back in my life again. We are now gladly building our bridge together and the love is always there. For healing and growth, I took the holistic route, which has provided me with richness and a good foundation of where I came from and who I am. I can only hope that Bernardo's post-adoption services will continue for all the first mothers, and especially for the mothers who still haven't yet come out with their story. Ireland's past is checkered with stories similar to that of May, Marion, Anne-Marie and Christina. Whilst each is unique, the devastating impact of the experience was common for all in one way or another. Many of the women that attended Bernardo's post-adoption service found different ways to cope and express themselves. For Mia, It was music. She wrote Song for My Son about her experience. Where are you now, my baby? Are you living close to me? What are you thinking now, my sweetheart? And what is your philosophy? Has life been good to you, my darling? And do you know I hope and That if you ever have the time, babe, please come and look me up someday. So many questions now to ask you. Like where you've been. And what's your name? And though we know I had my reasons Every one of them seems lame And how I hope that you forgive me That if you ever have the time, babe, you'll come and look me up someday. And do you look like my father?
Thank you to these incredible women for sharing their story. This program was produced for Bernardos by Liam Geraghty in conjunction with Patricia White, Christine Hennessy, Lorna Crinelli, Tess Purcell and Trudy McCarthy. It was kindly narrated by Sinead Cusack. If you were affected by the stories in this podcast, you can contact Barnardo's Post-Adoption Service in confidence at 018134100 or email adoption at barnardos.ie.